All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Life Church. Again, I don't want to assume anything, so I want to make sure that everybody that's here understands Champs Academy. What are we about and, and why do we even have it? So Champs Academy is one of our business for missions here at Life Church. Um, and so again, it's the whole concept of we wanted to create opportunities, whether it's the Cafe of Hope or Champs Academy, for people to build relationships that you wouldn't normally get. Right, So coming to work out and working out on purpose, one of those purposes uh, would be that you can come here and build relationships with people in a way that, that you wouldn't be able to do somewhere else. We wanted to provide that the same way we do for the cafe. And at the end of the day, we want it to be so if you're going to work out, right, work out with purpose, right? That not only is it about relationships, but it's about giving away money. And so uh, Amazing Grace was a part of that. So this was uh, a fundraiser for Cancer Center Services. So the, we had the largest turnout that we've ever had. So there were 25 teams and there were 50 people that came and worked out to raise money for Cancer Center Services. And they were able to raise uh, over $2,000 to give away or give back to Cancer Center Services. So Thanks to everybody that participated. I would tell you if you see any of them in their shirts, you know, go give them a big hug. Some of them be don't hug too hard because they're really, really sore. You know, some of them not, but some of them are like, just don't squeeze too much because it, it was quite the workout. But again, great opportunity. If you want to learn more about Champs Academy or the Cafe of Hope, talk to Ray and or Tammy and they'll give you more information about uh, what's going on. All right, so spiritual warfare. That's the series we're in. It's called When the Devil Knocks. And so I'm going to give you, again, a short recap. And I know sometimes recaps for the people that are here, they're like, seriously, that's what you talked about last week. But this is what I'm going to assume, right? I'm going to assume for some of you that are watching online or that are here, that you're new to it and knowing that in spiritual warfare, that it builds on stuff, like the way that it works is we have to build a foundation and to be able to work from that foundation. If you don't know the foundation, some of what I'm gonna to say today makes zero sense, right? So it's to be able to go back and say foundationally, these are the things that we need to recognize. And I'm going to assume this, that even though you might've been here last week, that you might not remember anyway, right? So I'm gonna go ahead and, and recap what we talked about from the beginning. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about spiritual warfare, the other thing I'm not going to assume is that people in this room, when we use these Christian words, spiritual warfare, that you know what I'm talking about. Because when you say it to some people, they're like, ah, if nobody's ever explained it, what is spiritual warfare? Well, here's what scripture says. There is an unseen world, right? Meaning that we, as people on this earth, can't see. And it's an unseen world. It's between heaven and the earth, right? It's an unseen. And in this world, there is a battle, right? And the battle is against the angels of God and the angels of Satan, right? The principalities of the earth and the angels of heaven are having a war. This war then affects the seen world, right? So the battles that happen in this spiritual realm, spiritual warfare, affect our physical realm, the things that, that happen here on this earth. And so what I wanted all of us to, to recognize is, is that we can't go into the complexities of everything that's fought in the spiritual realm and what it means and how it works and go through all of that. But what we can do is determine this, what's the war over, right? So at the end of the day, Satan has a lot of schemes, doing a lot of different things, um, and affects us in a lot of different ways. What happens in the spiritual realm affecting the, the, the physical realm 
but knowing not every way that he attacks or everything that's going on, but knowing what the war is over will help you stay on track or help you stay focused. Here's what the war is over, the souls of mankind. Because here's what Satan knows, right? Satan knows that there is no way that he can affect your eternity once you give your life to Jesus. True? Right? Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, Satan knows that he can no longer take that away from you. Right? So he can't take away your salvation, but he can take away your effectiveness. Right? Now here's what we have to recognize. The gospel of Jesus Christ, right? the message or the good news, only gets spread on this earth one way, through you. Your plan A, there is no plan B. Anybody that believes that people come to Jesus by osmosis is wrong. Right? Nobody's sitting in their room having nobody talking to them saying, oh, you know what I just figured out? No one's ever said this to me. No one's ever talked about it. No one's ever revealed it to me. Jesus Christ died for all my sins, and I need to accept him as my personal Lord and Savior, right, and become a follower. Nobody does that, right? It starts like this. So if some of you are feeling, like, overwhelmed when I say you're plan A and the only way that people are going to come to know Jesus is through you, Right? Some of you are thinking, I don't even know what to say. If somebody asked me, I wouldn't even know where to go in the Bible. Well, you don't need to know that in the beginning. Here's what you need to know. Become more like Jesus, and when you are more like Jesus, the Holy Spirit can do what only he can do. Does that make sense? Right? There's the work of the heart. Like, we miss this sometimes. Like, we think that we can change the hearts of mankind. You ain't changing crap. Right? Like, you're not changing the heart of mankind. Like, I don't care how hard you try, you're not changing the heart of your children. You're not changing the heart of your friend. You're not changing the heart of your wife. You're not changing the heart of the people around you. Your job, be like Jesus and let the person who can change it, change it, which is the Holy Spirit, right? That's our job. But living like or following Jesus gives an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work. If you're not doing that, how does the Holy Spirit even work or have a chance to do that? So, what is the war over? And if the war's over the souls of mankind, he's gonna do everything he can in different ways. And it's different for different people in this room. He's gonna to try to get you off mission, right? He's gonna distract you. And he finds, this is the, the thing, all of us are distracted in different ways. True? Like there's different things that can pull your attention and every person in this room is different. Like there's different things that can pull your attention. Satan doesn't know, like he, he isn't like God. He doesn't know your thoughts, but he can watch your actions and know for sure what distracts you, right? Like all he has to do is watch the way you live your life and he, he looks at the way that you're living your life and he'd be like, oh dude, this is easy. If this is what he's doing, then this is how I'm going to distract him or these are the things that, that I know he loves. Because we know that you can determine what somebody loves by watching their life. True? Right, like you can see what somebody loves, what somebody cherishes, what somebody values, what somebody will spend time with by the actions of their life, by the things that they do. So he's going to try to distract you. So that's really important. Now, how does the distraction happen or how does he get us off track? One is, is that he, um, I don't say helps us believe a lie, but we believe a lie and this is it, that he has authority over people in this room. Right? That's one of the things that he does is he makes you believe. Because if you've ever been to a place where you just feel completely overwhelmed, 
Anybody ever get to that place where it's just like the things of the world or things that are going on around you and you just feel like completely overwhelmed and there's no way to get out? What Satan wants you to believe is that that is true, right? When sin overwhelms us, when the things of the world overwhelm us, Satan wants us to believe that there is no way out. But here's the, the, the thing that we miss as Christian people. You know one of the greatest gifts of the cross? The blood of Jesus, right? I say this all the time. Like the greatest gift of, the, of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and raising it again was that a man like me can be forgiven. Can you believe that? But like I still can't believe it. I still can't believe that the blood of Jesus Christ covers a person who deserves hell, right? That a sinful man like me could be accepted by God and his blood would cover me. But a lot of times as Christian people, that's where it stops. You know what you do? You're like, saved by Jesus, can't wait to get to heaven, and now I'm just gonna try to exist on this earth. Anybody? Like, I'm just gonna try to get through. I'm just gonna try to make it. Life's so difficult. I can't wait. This will all be over someday, and someday I'm gonna be in heaven. That's not how you were called to live. You, the, the other thing that happened at the cross, Jesus took back authority from Satan and gave it to you. You are not supposed to live a life of existence, but a life of victory. Satan has no place in your life, right? And one of the things that's crazy, if you read scripture, here's what it says. If you come at times and you feel attacked by Satan, all you have to do is call upon the name of Jesus and what will happen? He has to flee. He has to. There is no choice. If you call upon the name of Jesus because he has no authority on this earth, he has to flee from you, right? So he wants you to believe that you have no authority and that you have no victory. And he gets Christian people that, yes, accepted the blood, but now just exist and live as if they have no authority and no power. Live with authority, right? We need to change those things in our life. Here's the other thing. Here's what he knows. If you can change the way you think, he can change the way you act, right? Here's what he knows. If you can get in your head, this is where he starts, right? Because we talked about this last week. We need to be of sound mind or sober mind, right? Here's what he knows. If you can get in your head and if you don't stop it in your head, you know where it goes next? To your emotions. When it goes to your emotions, come hell or high water, you're doing it. Anybody else that gets that, like, you know what I mean? Like it starts burning up there and you're like killing around, but then once you get emotional about it, there ain't nobody stopping you, right? Like you're going no matter whether that emotion was right, whether that emotion was wrong. When you become emotional, you are moving forward. So here's what Satan knows. Plant the seed, let it fester because he knows that in the mind of people, see, if you didn't already know this, the mind is a powerful thing. In fact, if you talk to most um, people who are, have had high success in their life in the athletic world, right, here's what they'll tell you. You know the first barrier they had to get over? The mental, right? It's really not the physical that breaks down first. It's the mental. And if you can get through the mental, then the physical can achieve things that you never thought was ever possible, but it starts up here right? Because your brain starts to believe that you can't do things before your body ever gets there, right? So Satan knows the same thing. If I can affect your mind and I can affect the way that you think, I can also affect the, your actions of your life. So if, I, if so, if Satan's like, I want to distract them and I want to get them, you know, off track, all I have to do is start planting some seeds of things that aren't true or half-truths, 
right? Or move them down a road of like what we were talking about. We were talking about, and we're going to finish it this week. So we started Pride last week, and we're going to finish it this week. Here's what he's going to get you to think. And, and I know you won't say this, but here's what he's going to get you to start processing. That you're a better God than the God of the universe. Anybody? Right? That, that it's better if you're in control than if God's in control. Better to trust you than it is to trust God, right? And you, nobody comes out and says you want to be God. Just the actions of your life prove it, right? When we stop trusting God and we put ourselves in a position of God, Satan's like, I got you, <laughs> right? Once you get to the place where you believe that you're in control and you got it, Satan's like, I'm just going to keep him right there. Because as long as they're there, then the actions of their life will be dictated by them being the God of their life. Right, so what we started talking about last week is, so how do we address that? Because here's what we know personally by watching other people, or maybe you've had it. Pride, this is what scripture said, pride comes before the, the fall, right? We know this, right? And, and the funny thing about pride is you can see it in somebody else, but you can't see it in yourself, right? That's the funny thing about pride. Pride is like you're looking at somebody and be like, dude, that guy, that person, they're fallen, right? Because you watch them and you listen to them and, and even sometimes you go and talk to them and you're like, you know the fall's coming, you know? And they just don't see it, right? Like they're, they're blinded by those things. So we need to understand that Satan uses pride to distract us to get off mission, right? So we need to address it. So how do we address pride? What do we do? That's what we're gonna focus on again today. James 4, if you wanna go there, that's what we're gonna be today. James 4, verses four through 10, okay? And that's what we're gonna focus on. Now, if anybody or you guys are in here and you want a book of the Bible to read, if you haven't, like Matt, you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, or read one of the Gospels, if you wanna read another book, read James. It's a perfect book, you know why? It pulls no punches and there are no mysteries. James says, this is the way it is, and if you don't listen, this is the way it is. Like, there's no, like, weird interpretation of stories, right? There are no these, like, oh, I got to figure out this parable and what's going on, and I need to dissect it. James just is flat out. If you are this, this is what happens to you. So I always tell people, like, if you're young in your faith, start there. You know, start there and just read it and read it for what it says. Don't try to excuse it away because this is what James is doing. James knows that pride is going to be an issue. James knows that the spiritual warfare is going to be an issue. So James just flat out said, if you struggle with pride or if you have a problem, let me tell you what happens, right? And I'm going to give you some, some foresight into that. So here's what he says. You adulterous people, this is verse four, you adulterous people, you don't know that friendship with the world means that you're enmity against God, or he says, therefore, and he gives us this, this understanding, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world is what? An enemy, right? So make sure that we get this, because we said this a couple weeks ago, and I don't know that we really got this or understood this. There is no neutral. You are either on team Jesus fighting for the kingdom or you're on team Satan fighting for Satan. There is no neutral. You're either a friend of God or you're an enemy against God, right? And we're gonna see here in a little bit how does God treat his friends and how does God treat his enemies? Here would be my suggestion. Stay on the friendship side, right? Does anybody wanna be an enemy of God for crying out loud? 
right? It's funny, none of us are going to sit in this room and say, I want to be an enemy of God, but yet the things that we do in our life set us up to be enemies of God, right? The things that we do and the actions of our life. So he says to us right from the beginning, understand that you can be and will be playing for the wrong team, right? So now, how do you know? So how do you know if you're on the right or wrong team? So I'm going to give you a couple things. So here's some checks and balances. So for you today, if you're asking the question, which team am I playing on? Am I prideful? Am I an enemy or a friend of God? It starts with this, how you treat people. So you want to know if you're a friend of God or an, or an enemy of God, how you treat people. Scripture very clearly says people are created in the image of God. Treat them that way. If you treat people like an object, okay, and when I say an object, I'll try to explain it. So think about this in the side of your marriage relationships. We talk about this in marriage counseling all the time. Inside of the marriage, when your love is only reciprocal, meaning that you will only love if you get love, right? That is treating a person like an object. That makes sense? So I'm only gonna love you as long as you give me what I need, and until you give me what I need, I'm gonna withhold these other things. That's object, right? I'm gonna treat you, and, and what it's saying is is that you're using that object to get what you want right? Same thing with coworkers, right? So if you have people that you work with or you're a business owner and you have people under you, are those people objects, right? That you only will treat them human if they're making you enough money? Will you only treat them in a way that's respectable as long as they're doing what they're told, right? This whole idea of how we treat people helps us identify which team are we on and which team are we playing for because if we treat people like objects, then you will understand you might be playing for the wrong team. If you look at them and say that that is a person that's created in the image of God and I'm gonna treat them that way, regardless of whether they deserve to be treated that way or not, then you'd be like, I must be on the right team. Because it's gonna be a struggle, but you're gonna make a decision. You know what the other thing is? How you handle your resources. You have, you have two choices in the way that you handle your resources. You wanna know what team you're on? Do you own it? Or are you a steward of it? Okay? If you are a person who would say this, this is all mine, my house, my cars, my stuff, my savings account, my things, look at my whatever I've created, look what I have done, right? If you go down those roads, if you think anything belongs to you, you're playing for the wrong team. Because does anything belong to you? You are a steward of God's things. And until you leave this earth, you are to steward them in the way God has called you to steward them. Think of your kids. I say the same thing. Parents, are kids ours? I know sometimes we want to disown them, so it's an easy thing, right? No, our kids ours. No, they're God's. Raise your children as they're God's children, not yours to turn out the way you want them to. Steward them the way God wants you to steward them so they'll turn out the way God wants them to turn out, right? So it's a whole owner-stewardship mentality. If you want to know if you're playing for the wrong team, as soon as you start believing that everything is yours, you're playing for the wrong team. As soon as you forget that you're only a steward of the things that you have on this earth for a short amount of time, and at the end of the day, they're supposed to be used for the kingdom of God, then, then we're missing the point, right? Or we're playing for the wrong team. And this is kind of a precursor to what we're gonna talk about, but I'll just tell you this. 
If you think for too long that things are yours, someday God will remind you they are not by taking them away. And I'm just telling you, you don't, I mean, the reality of it is God does not care. And we're going to see this here in a little bit. God doesn't care about the things that you have on this earth. He cares about a relationship with him. And if it means taking some of your stuff away to get humbled, get ready. Right? It's just the way that it works sometimes. And we have to remember that. So that's the other. The other one is how do you define success? Right? So if you want to know if you're playing for the right team or the wrong team, how do you define success in your life? So if somebody's going to come and ask you, like, how is your life and are you successful? Are you going to determine it the way the world determines it? You know how the world determines it? What you drive, where you live, what you wear, you know, how much you spend, right? Like this, whatever materialistically the world says is success, you've got a good job, you're, you're a manager of something, you've made a lot of money. The world defines success based upon those things, which is there anything wrong with those things? No, if you are a steward of God's stuff, it makes no difference because you know how you should define success? Because this is how it's going to be defined for you outside of your giving your life to Jesus Christ. How many people did you reach? What are you doing in your life to change the lives of other people so that they can know Jesus Christ? Because success for us Right? Again, we're not in charge of whether they do or don't accept it, but are the things that we do and giving people opportunities to do it anyway. Because believe me, there will be no greater gift in your life than when you stand in front of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this for a second. How many people would be standing up there when you stand in front of him saying, thank you for what you've done because of you, because of your volunteerism, because of your money, because of your time, because of your investment. I'm in heaven today because of what you did for me. And if you're sitting here thinking, ah, oh, man, I don't really know. If success while you're on this earth is determined by the effectiveness of eternity in the lives of other people, we should be able to look at our lives and be like, good, bad, how am I doing? Again, not from the standpoint of how many people were converted? Because I don't want you to get caught up in this idea that fill out the, the list and this many people were baptized and this many people gave their life to Jesus and because I did. No, not that. Because when you wake up every single day, you'd be like, it's all yours and it's not mine. What should I do today? And if you do it, there will be people waiting in heaven someday that you never knew they'll say thank you. Yeah. That's just the way it works. You don't have to have it all figured out. You only have to have one thing figured out. Will you listen and will you obey? If you listen and if you obey, those things will happen. So again, that's how he says, if you want to know what team you're playing on, right? How do you determine that? Those three things will help you determine it. Then he goes on and says this. So now he's saying, you can be an enemy or you can be on my team, friend or enemy. Like he gives this perspective. But then what James does next, in my opinion, should be a wake-up call for everybody in this room. So if you're checked out from the first section of what we were talking about, listen to what he says in this. This is verse 5. Or do you think scripture, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I want you to hear this for a second. Not only are you an enemy, but God is going to oppose you. You understand the difference, right? 
Like as an enemy, you can stand on the sidelines and you can think, you know, these different things. Like I'm, I'm on the wrong team and I should, you know, because this is the way people approach things, kind of lackadaisical. Like I'm on the wrong team and I need to be on the right team and I need to look at things and be a better steward because I know it's not mine or I need to, you know, invest into people like they are creating it. Like I need to get there. Just, just hear me when I say this. If you aren't there God is in opposition of you till you get there. You with me? Because here's what you have to see. God is going to oppose you, not because he hates you, right? Not because he wants to condemn you to hell, because he wants to wake you up and get you back on the right course. You see the difference? Like God's opposition towards you and the things that you're going isn't to lose your salvation. God isn't opposing you to take that away from you. He's opposing you because he knows what? You need to be on mission. I got a plan for your life. What are you doing over here? And you're just kind of like, I don't know, just kind of going through life. And he's like, I am going to wake you up. I am going to wake you up. And I don't care what it's going to take. My opposition is because I love you. So whatever those things that are distracting you away or whatever those things are taking your allegiance away, just so you get this, it's not like God's going to be like, well, I just hope someday he comes back. If your allegiance is somewhere else, he will start picking it away. What's your allegiance? It's to this, money? No, let me take that away. Your allegiance is, let me take it away. Your your. Your reliance on, let me take it away. Until you get to this point where you realize there's only one thing to rely on, God, right? That's what he's trying to say to each one of us, and he wants us to make sure we understand that because it isn't about just trying to find yourself in the middle and hopefully you'll get on a better team. God's gonna oppose you because he loves you and he wants you on mission and he wants to use you, okay? Now, what do you do with that, (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, get on the right team and try to figure these things out, and God's going to oppose you if you don't. What should we do then? What should our next steps be? So if you don't want to play for the wrong team, and you don't want God to oppose you, what are some things that you can do practically to make sure that we don't go down that road? Well, that's where he goes next. Here's what he says in verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So he says you got to do two things. You got to learn submission, and you have to have a plan to resist him, okay? Learn submission and a plan to resist him. Now, here's the things you need to remember about submission. So when I do marriage counseling with people, this is always the funny thing that comes up, because I say if we're going to do marriage counseling, let's talk about what the Bible says, and here's what the Bible says, right? That for the man's job in in a, a godly relationship is to lead, and it's the woman's job to Submit. And you know how many women want to hear that? You know how many women are like, don't say that word again. Don't, don't, don't say that word again. Right? And we get through it. Like, again, it sounds way worse than what, what you think. And once you actually study what it means to get to those places and why he created and designed and put those things together, you know, understanding that it's a beautiful thing when it works. But you know what's funny? Is, is this, this is also what happens in marriage. You know, submission never is brought up until there's conflict. You realize that? Like, submission isn't an issue in a marriage till you disagree. Anybody? 
Yeah, I mean, that's when it comes up. And you know what happens is a lot of times in marriage, because you don't want to, you don't want to go down this road, and you don't want to do what, what the godly piece of it is, you just dismiss it, and you put it away, and hope it never comes back again. Anybody that's been married knows this. It's coming back. And you're going to have conflict again. And you know what happens? You just put it away again. And you put it away for so long until it becomes something that will fracture your relationship. Because we just don't figure it out, right? You just push it away. What do you realize? It's the same thing with your relationship with God. You read the Bible, and you know the only time it matters that you submit to God is when you don't trust him. Does that make sense? Like you can read the Bible and you can say all of these things and you can read it like, but you know when conflict or submission comes in? When he asks you to do something, just use this as an example. He asks you to love someone, don't treat him like an object, that you would rather punch in the face. Nobody else has wanted to punch somebody in the face. You know what I mean? Like you got these people that you just like, they deserve to be punched in the face. They deserve, do you know why they deserve it? Did you hear what they said to me? Do you see the way they talked to me? Do you see the things that they did? They deserve it. All of a sudden, my feelings and the conflict of what God wants from, or the things that God wants from my life, all of a sudden come in conflict. And I have to make a decision. Am I God or is he? Because that's ultimately what you're deciding, Right? You're going to be God and say, well, you know what? I'm going to be the determining factor of who I love and don't love. Or you're going to say, but God is God, and I have to submit to this. And even though I don't like you, you were still created in the image of God. So I will not treat you like an object. Right? It's only when it comes into conflict. Right? Back to the whole concept. You know, when it comes to money, it's easy to sit here and say, it's all God's money, as long as you have it. What happens when you run out of money? What happens when there isn't enough money to give? You know, it's easy to give, per se, when there's plenty to give. But when all of a sudden God starts contracting some of those things to test your submission, to see where you're at, and all of a sudden it comes into conflict. This is what I think I should do with the money, and this is what God told me to do with his money. And then all of a sudden you've got to make a decision. Where will you submit? So I'm always telling people, listen, you need to have a plan beforehand to understand what you're going to do to submit. Because if you don't, here's what you're going to do. Like if you haven't pre-decided that you're not God, or if you haven't pre-decided that his authority is better than my authority, every time you come into conflict, right? Every time you come into this place where your view and God's view doesn't line up, you will trust your own authority over God because you don't trust him. Right? Like you're going to get to that place. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I trust me more than I trust you. So that's what he's saying inside of this. You better have a plan of submission and you better have a plan to be able to resist. Okay? Because everybody in this room is going to be tested. Everybody in this room is going to have things come into their life. What is your plan to resist the devil? What is your plan? Like we say this to, you know, to high school kids all the time that are, when I used to do youth, I would say, if you're in a dating relationship, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you uh, uh, an idea, right, or something that you should think about. Because, and it was about, like, how far are you going to go with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? And all of them are like, do we really have to talk about this? This is so weird. Like, we don't talk about these things. And I said, I'm telling you right now, if you don't talk about it now, you're not going to talk about it in the backseat of a car. If you don't pre-decide to not get in the backseat, believe me, once you're in the backseat, <laughs> 
Anybody? Right? Like, if you don't pre-decide, I'm not going to do these things, or I'm going to draw this line. If you don't pre-decide those things to resist the devil, believe me, you're not going to resist the devil. That's just the way that it works. So I don't know what those challenges are in your life today when it comes to trusting God or those things when he's trying to tempt you, but you better come up with a plan to resist so that when it gets there, you're not thinking like, I wonder what I should do. It's too late. <laughs> right? It's too late, and you don't know what those things are. So he says in this that we have to have a plan to submit and a plan to resist. Here's the next thing, verse 8. Next step, what should we do? Come near to God and he will come near to you. So he talks about this idea. How do we draw near to God? And so what he's talking about is if you're going to fight through the spiritual battle, you're going to have to learn that relationships are far more important to God than religion. Okay, because this is where people think, draw near to God, that means come back to church. Draw near to God, that means read my Bible. Draw near to God, and that means do devotions. Draw near to God and show up for worship nights. You know what I'm saying? Like, draw near to God to do religious things, and you know why you did it? You showed up here to check it off a list to say, I went to church this morning. I went to Bible study today. I read my, I did my devotions. Now, at the end of the day, it didn't really mean squat, but I showed up religion, Right? Relationship is what God seeks, not religion, right? And if you want to know, right, like if you want to know whether or not you're seeking relationship over religion, here's the idea. I'm going to give you some criteria. How do you determine whether you're doing that? Here's the first thing. When you look at how you spend your time, are you here this morning to meet Jesus or check it off the list? Because if you came here this morning trying to just check some religious box that somehow your kids or somebody around you would say, look at them, they're going to church, you've missed it. You know why you should be here this morning? Because God says where two or three are gathered, I am there. So you should come here to meet Jesus this morning and to get in deeper relationship with him. And then from that, something's gonna change inside of you. Right? What expectation do you have whenever you do it? How much time are you doing? This, again, these are simple things, right? Think about it when it comes to your marriage. Think about it when it comes to your kids. The only way you build a relationship is time. Spend in the right way. Because you, you realize that just spending time with somebody doesn't always build relationship. Are we... You understand what I'm saying, right? Like just because you're in the same room and there's a movie on in the TV and everybody's at their phone, you can say, well, but I was home. The kids were here. I'm like, did you build relationship or did you sit in a room? You see what I'm saying? The difference between time and, and building relationships. Like we got to invest. We know this, right? Like when you're with your wife or you're with your husband, like time that you're spending together, are you spending time together to build that relationship or check something off of a box to say that you just did it, right? So we know that there's that. You know what the other piece is? It's investment. So when we look at this idea of are we drawing near to God, one is spending time with him and spending time in the right way. The other thing is, is that are we investing into that relationship, right? Because it's more than just time, it's investment. And you know this, right? You know that you can spend time with your kids and you know you can spend time with your wife and there's a difference between spending time with them and investing into them. True? Hopefully, true, right? Like there's a big difference. Investment looks way different than just spending time. It starts with you being intentional, right? That's time. 
Starts with you being intentional. But think about this for a second. So in the intentionality of spending time with your children, how are you investing in them? To turn them into kingdom warriors for God? Is that what you're doing? Like, is that what we're doing? Because, again, remember that success in their life will be determined by God because they do what right? Because they reach their friends for Jesus Christ. Are we teaching them to be kingdom warriors? Are we investing in the right way? Are we doing the things? The same as it is with, again, husbands and wives, right? And this is the next thing you can know. Like, you can know that you're doing it right if your communication is good. Are you talking about something? You know, in our relationship with God, are we just checking off the boxes? Are you going to him when you need to talk to him? Like, I got a problem, and we need to talk. Because I say this, think about this in marriages. You know how many times in marriages the only conversation you have is what to eat, where the kids go, and what time we're going to bed? People in marriage are like, oh, no, we have in-depth, way deep conversations. <laughs> and you might, but I'm just telling you, most of the time, unless you intentionally sit down and say, I want to know what's in your heart. I want to know what's going on. I want to know how I can love you better. I want to know what we can, like, I want to know how to invest. If you don't take intentional time to sit down and invest and then communicate those things, just so you understand, your relationship will never grow. Never. And you know what will happen over time? You will fall out of love. And I know you think that's impossible, but talk to somebody that's been at that. If you're just trying to exist and you're just trying to get by and you're not doing the time and the investment and the communication the way it needs to be, so the same concept, if somebody comes in here and is like, I need to get back to church and I need to do the religious things, you're going to start doing that for a while. But guess what's going to happen in six months, a year, year and a half, two years from now? It might have happened to you already. Guess what happens? You're gone. Because it wasn't about a relationship, it was about an activity, and when that activity didn't do what you needed it to do, you're just going to drift off into something else, right? So when he says, draw near to me, he's saying, let's get in a relationship, because here's what we know, when relationship is good with our kids, with your wife, with other people, you want to spend all the time you can. True? True? When that relationship is flourishing and love is flourishing, you're not like, oh my gosh, I got to see him again. Oh my gosh, another date night, another date night. Or oh my gosh, we have to really sit around the table and look at each other. But like you're loving it. There's a passion that happens because relationship is good. It just naturally happens because of relationship. So he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The next thing he says is wash your hands, you sinners. So he said, you know what? If you got sin in your life, you need to figure it out and you need to do something with it. You know where it starts? Admitting that you're a sinner. Like it's not hard for me to stand up here on this stage and be like, holy crap. It's easy for me to identify. I'm a sinner falling short of the glory of God. And it probably happened a lot yesterday or the day before. Like I am so at the place where, you know why I'm so humbled? You know why God can keep me humble? Because I recognize who I am, a sinner. And if somebody's like, well, I'd have to think about, I've been a while since I sinned, you're probably struggling with pride. <laughs> or you're not reading the Bible, right? It starts with admitting that you're a sinner and being able to have a conversation with your friends and the people you love. I'm a sinner, right? And if they're looking at you, they're like, I know, you're really bad. Let me try to fix you. Well, that's, 
They got a pride problem. You know what they should do? They should be like, I know, me too, me too. Let's go down this journey together and hopefully we can fix this, right? Let's go down these roads because we're both in the same place. Sinners falling short of the glory of God. Let's work on it together. Not from a place of condemnation, not from a place that I have to fix you, but from this place. We're going down this road together and God's gonna do amazing things as we wash away our sins or as we go to that place. Next thing is, he goes on in that same verse, and purify your hearts, uh, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, and again, double-minded people or double-minded souls. Now, the worship team's gonna be coming back up. I'm gonna explain these last few things. What does it mean to be double-minded, okay? So he, just to make it simple, because I think it's hard to, to explain all, but here's, here's being double-minded. If you are living in independence, right, on certain things of your life and dependence in other things of your life, you are double-minded. I'll just give you an example. So there are certain things in your life that you've not given to God. Your money, your kids, your, you could make the list, whatever those, the things that you still want to be in control of. You got what I'm saying? Like there's some things that you want to be independent of God on because you're in control. And then you've given him this other stuff that you'll be dependent on, that you, you're out of control in him, so you just gave it over to him anyway. Does that make sense? My, so independence on the things that you don't want to give up control over, dependence on the things that you've already given up control. You are double-minded and you cannot live in that world. That's not how Christian people are called to live. Christian people are called to live in full dependence. Now, are you gonna struggle with it? You should say yes or you are a liar. <laughs> you are going to struggle fully depending on God. Let's be honest. Circumstances of life that we don't agree with makes it hard to trust God. Yes, no, yes. Be real. Circumstances of life make it difficult to trust God, to fully give over our faithfulness to God because circumstances haven't always turned out the way we thought they should. And that's just a reality. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean, again, that we're not gonna struggle with wanting to take over control, but it's ultimately how you respond. But am I going to give it back over to him? Because he doesn't want us to live double-minded. The other thing that he says, verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Listen, this is what he's saying. He doesn't want people to walk around, moping around like, I'm so unhappy. I just got to go through life like a martyr-type stance. That's not what he's saying. You know what he's saying? Too many times in life you walk through life and you're just so happy and you're so joyful, but you should mourn because you know how many people around you today are spending a Christless eternity in hell. You know how many funerals are happening around this world of people that don't know Jesus Christ? You know how many people that you love that are in your family right now that don't know Jesus Christ? Young people, you know how many people that you like, you got an out and it just seems weird because you're gonna go out and you're in high school or you're in middle school and you're just gonna have fun and the whole idea is just having fun. Do you realize your friends are going to hell? That if they don't know Jesus, that they're going to hell. And he's saying, not that we don't want you to have joy and enjoy your life or to do things, but at the end of the day, you better grieve over what all of us should grieve over. There are people that don't know Jesus. 
And we should grieve about that because when you get grief, it changes the way that you act and the things that you do because it shows that you care, right? And he ends it with this, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Here's always my suggestion. Humble yourself before he humbles you. It's far better, speaking from experience, far better to learn before he has to teach. Far better for us to make decisions because here's what's going to happen at the end of the day. He will humble you. It's coming. If you're if you got if you struggle with pride today, humility is coming. And and understand that it's not because he doesn't love you, it's because he loves you because he wants a relationship with you. And pride separates us from a relationship with God. He'll do whatever he can to bring you back. That makes sense? Okay, will you stand so I can pray for you? So Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we know that for all of us, this is a struggle. To be able to trust you and to understand you and to, again, just put all of our faith in you. Lord, I pray today that the things that we're struggling with, the things that pride has crept in, the things that we haven't yet given over to you, that as we sing these last songs and as we go out this week, that you will remind us again of the things we need to trust you and that we'll give them over. Because there's no greater gift than living in and believing in and resting in the faithfulness of God. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. All right, Life Church, this next song is one that was introduced in our night of worship last week. It talks about the names of our Almighty God Adonai, Elohim, El Shaddai.
As we get ready to close today, um, we're going to sing a call, yes and amen. Um, isn't it awesome that he's that God, <laughs> that he loves us and he looks out for us every day? So much good. Here we go. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you will be. Faithful you are. time to just spend some quiet time with God. Let's just open up our arms to him and invite him in. Man, fill us up, God, please. We're here for you and only you. We love you. And I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. I will rest in your promises. My confidence, he's faithful. Is your faithfulness? And I will rest in your promises. My confidence, 
So I think, easy to sing it, hard to do it, right? We can sit here and say, we're going to be faithful, God, and we're going to, you know, we're going to live a life of faith until we get to that place where he says, will you be faithful, right? So I want to give you this confidence. If you've ever been at that place and wondering whether or not you can rest in this confidence, talk to somebody who's been there. Talk to somebody who has went from this place of, I don't know, I don't know, and they gave it to God. Because once you experience the faithfulness of God, you will never go back. You just won't. Once you've got to that place in your life where you're saying there's no better place to be than resting in the confidence of faith, every decision that you'll make in the future will be around that. And so my prayer for you is that if you're struggling with that, and you will know because it's the places you're not trusting God right now. So in those places that you're not trusting God, will you rest in the confidence that he is a God that will be faithful, that he is a God that his promises are true? And this week and the coming weeks and the coming years to come, will you keep giving over to him so he can show you because he's waiting to show you his faithfulness and wanting you to see those things in your life. So again, may we be a people of faithfulness. May we be a church of faithfulness so that God can get all of the glory. Again, thanks everybody for joining us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.